Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, I am with Maggie Converse, and she is a bereavement coordinator for hospice and an end-of-life doula and educator and grief companion. It is super apt that we are talking about grief in this episode and that that's actually what she does. It's really amazing um, how how paths lead together, but we met through a mutual friend, Joshua Stoddard, and we actually met at his, I guess we would call it like an end of life ceremony or a wake. I'm not quite sure what it was formally, a memorial. I thought it would be really interesting to have her perspective on the podcast as to what it is to guide people through grief and through end of life. And, you know, something that we don't talk about a lot, I think, in our in our culture. And I think that we should because it is a normal and natural part of living. Yeah. Um, oh, and also she lives in Hood River, Oregon with her two dogs. So um, here we go. Let's get into it. It's kind of amazing to meet someone at a memorial who happens to work in death. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there's so much in that mm-hmm. yeah do you do you like think that you see because I mean I I look at your feed on on Instagram and obviously a lot of what you share is about grieving and moving grief through your body and and things like that do you feel like you see life through kind of a unique lens to people that you are around? Yeah, sometimes I feel like uh, I can, I can find myself as like one of the only or the only people in the room or a group that wants to like dig really deep and talk about these like not so popular things to talk about. Um, and then when I do find people that maybe have experienced a really, um, profound or a big loss or gone through something, um, you know, loss being, uh, like a death or there's other ways that we experience loss in our lives. It's kind of like, oh yes, like you speak the same language as me. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I feel like there's, I see the world a lot through the lens of just knowing that death is a part of life, a part of being human. And so is grief. Yeah, yeah, I remember listening to, I think the first time that I realized this well i guess it was like in twofold the first time i realized that i didn't know anything about death and it was like shocking was when my my really close friend died in college and i remember somebody mentioning like how strange our relationship to death was at that point and how like you know it it always seems like it's like this shock and yet it's an inevitability but we always sort of see it as like oh my god how did this you know Um, like a meteor, you know, (laughs) just, you know, fell to the earth or something. It's almost like, it it almost feels like that sometimes. And, and then like, what was it? Um, There was a, a, a man in, in the Kundalini Yoga community who, who died and he was about the same age as my friend. And I remember listening to a podcast where his wife, was talking to wait no actually she wasn't on the podcast i'm talking about she she had shared the podcast but the they were talking about death in a way that i had never heard it talked about and one of the things that they talked about was just how difficult it seems to be for people to talk to people who who are grieving like nobody seems to know what to say you know um or they feel they're going to say the wrong thing or they're going to make it worse or, you know, so I think people sort of shy on the side of like not saying much at all, which can feel pretty alienating to someone who's grieving. What, what is your like experience with that? You must have a lot. 
sometimes, I mean, I think I have like the same amount of, I, I have experience like anyone else would. And I think in the last like five or six years of going through um, some losses, um, I mean, I look, I, I see how people reached out or didn't reach out or, or said things or didn't say things to me and have reflected on how like, oh, that was me when my friend's mom died and I didn't want to mess up. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and even now it's still like a practice um, and obviously like part of my work, like I, ha I have to make calls and visits to the bereaved. Um, but even with like personal losses, there's still this like discomfort around, like, there's this call to reach out like that. I want to reach out. I want to say something and I do now, but I still have this, there's like a part of me that's still like, but what if it makes it worse? Like, what if it's the wrong thing? And, you know, I think there are some things that are like more helpful than others to say to a grieving person. But I mean, from being on the grieving person end of things, it's like, just I'm here. Like I'm thinking like just the most simple things can be um, the most impactful. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's still that, like, I um, I do reach out. I, I will say something. And I still have this little part of me that's like, but I, I mean, I was writing an email this week to um, uh, the wife of, someone who was kind of like an uncle to me, my, my father's best, best friend. And, you know, I had to keep like reminding myself, like just from the heart, like you don't have to go back and edit it and make it perfect. And just like from your heart. So yeah, I think we don't know, we don't know what to say to people. And I remember being, uh, when Josh died, like, really wanting people to reach out a lot more than, than they did. Um, and also trying to have that compassion of like, oh yeah, we live in a really grief illiterate society. Like people are scared to talk to the grieving person. Like I, like I was scared to say the wrong thing. I still get that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I kind of forgot like the original question. No, no, that was that I was just writing what you were what you were saying. Um, people <laughs> are scared of the grieving. Of, oh, I'll go back and listen. Um, yeah, no, and and I think uh, you had a post that was really sweet on kind of on this topic, where you asked people what the most surprising thing was for them mm -hmm. after someone had died i think and i can't remember if you said the su most surprising thing someone said i don't think so but i and i i spoke about like the most surprising thing that someone had said to me about um about someone dying um yeah it brings up all sorts of all sorts of emotions because what this person had said was she was basically angry with me for mm -hmm. the way that i had delivered the news which was <laughs> Really, which was like really a very surprising response, you know, um, but we respond in all different, you know, in all different kinds of ways. And I love what you were saying about having compassion for people. And I definitely had that thought about like, wow, I wonder like how appropriate some of the things I said for, you know, for people who were, who were grieving were, I don't know, you know? Yeah. 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 It, we don't, well, I didn't, I think we all like learned in our ways growing up, like how to talk about death, how to like deal with quote unquote, deal with death and deal with grieving people. And so I picked like for a while was just kind of doing what was modeled. Um, 
until like, yeah, I, I, I learned differently and experienced like what it was like to be on the grieving end and like, wow, what would be really helpful? What would be supportive right now? Yeah. Do, do you most, are you mostly guided by your experience of being with people or is there like kind of a framework that you, that you go to or how, how do you handle that? Um, a lot of it is guided by, I guess it's most of it is guided by the person. Um, there is a framework that I've been working on a training in, um, with Amy Wright Glenn. Um, uh, it's, it's just called space holding. And as I've been doing it, it's really validated a lot of what I've already kind of been feeling like this is this is how I've I've kind of been showing up for people um but it's really like allowing the person that is grieving to lead allowing them to teach me about their grief rather than me telling them this is what you should do or like this is where you should be. We're three months out. <laughs> um, so very like grieving person centered. Um, and also, you know, I have a background in teaching yoga and I dance throughout a lot of my life. And so also incorporating, and this is also part of the holding space training, um, incorporating a little bit of body-based practices, like just bringing a hand to your heart or maybe guiding someone to notice sensations, like where grief might be showing up. So I, I often try to integrate some of that if people are open to it and comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you are working mostly with people who share kind of like a similar culture to yours or is, is culture ever kind of a difficult thing for you in terms of like not understanding maybe how a culture grieves or deals with loss? Yeah. For the most part, For the most part, it has been similar-ish. Um, and also, I often find myself learning a lot about um, different ways that different cultures grieve, different ways that just different, that people grieve mm -hmm. or their viewpoints on grief. And, you know, having to take this like, step back and really letting them lead and not like intrude, like never intruding on their process um, or their perspective. Like that's not what I'm there to do. Do you find it draining? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, what are your boundaries around that? Like, are you empathic? Is it, is it kind of, is there a mixture that goes on? Do you have to kind of clear, like what, what's your practice around that? It, I do find it draining. Um, I mean, it's such, it's such like heart centered work. It can, yes, it can be draining. I try to take breaks. Like when I'm working for hospice, I could have a day where I potentially could make like 12 calls, but I know that if I do that, I'm not going to be present. So I try to have like space between conversations with people or visits. If I'm in a place, if I'm doing it from home, like going outside, taking breaks or even lying down and resting. I have also found, you know, it can be, it can be, um, 
it can be draining and it can also be uplifting when somebody is like really in touch with their grief, when they're able to verbalize it, they're able to share it. Um, they're able to recognize like they have, they have awareness around it and it can be draining. Cause I think I, I get frustrated when I hear people kind of bulldozing over their grief but I'm never gonna like try to push them to go go toward it if they're not ready I think there's just a part of me that 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 wants so badly for them to you know find that safe person or safe group of people to be able to grieve with and share about it but I can't always do that. So, so it can, it can get, it can get and does get draining. Um, but I think just having, I do a lot of like self-care practices. I'm pretty good at that now. Um, so yeah, you have to be, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also there's, there's a component to it that we're all human and, you know, it's, it's been hard this year after, after Josh passed away, it's, it's been difficult. And I've noticed this almost like constant reminder that, you know, so many people are grieving. Mm. Um, so there's almost this sense of like community in it and just having these conversations with people and listening wow. and, hearing their insights and I learn from them. Hmm. Yeah. What got you into this type of work? People ask me that and (laughs) part of it felt like a calling, um, in 2019, I was feeling really drawn to uh, want to learn more about death and dying and end of life. I think I had also been exploring my own grief that I had not sat with. Um, And, you know, there were events in my life there were many like end of relationships that I'd never grieved. Hmm. Um, I lost, um, my cousin died. He was 32. I think this was like five years ago and it was very sudden and tragic and going to the funeral felt like walking into like a a movie, like it just didn't feel real and that this could happen. And that certainly kind of was like this pivot moment of just thinking about death a lot more and like what happens and what is our relationship with people and animals that we've lost. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think just this exploration of my own grief and, and like being in my own grief and recognizing how how important that was, how I needed to do that. Um, And so a lot of it felt like, like I think there were little things that kind of nudged me in the direction. And then it also just felt like this calling, like I I want to learn about this. I want to immerse myself in this. I want to educate people. I want to hold space for this. Hmm. So. Yeah. What does, what have you learned about death, about grief? Like. It's just, it's like so real. (laughs) It's so, oh my gosh. Well, I feel like I learned a lot. 2020, 2021 was like studying and learning and of course COVID, right? And there was like all this loss in COVID 
and oh, like just like reading books and watching and listening to podcasts and watching films about death and dying and grief and like soaking it all in you know kind of learning and realizing like wow we don't talk about this like you know or you'll have like maybe a little bite-sized conversation about it and just noticing the amount of discomfort around death and dying and grief and I still have I learned that I still have like discomfort I'm still afraid of dying like learning about this doesn't make that go away but I think just just really seeing like how it's all kind of swept under the rug it's kept like hidden um you know, everything, so much in our society is about like anti-aging. Hmm. So I think a big part of my learning was also about like, like embracing the aging process, embracing like the changing body. Um, and, and then I think when it was so I I had spent all this time studying and reading and in uh I did a nine-month course called Nine Keys with my teacher Elizabeth Bazin. And that ended in November, like November 1, 2021. And I was kind of all set to go. I had these like ideas about being a death midwife and I was holding like grief groups and I was gonna continue that and do one on more one-on-one and then we lost Josh and it just was like, whoa, like, wait a minute. Like this is, this is so real. This is so hard. And this is not something to like be rushed. Hmm. There's so much to learn in like studying death and dying, but then also like being really present for like our own losses is, is an initiation, is an education in itself, if we let it be. Hmm. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. What? What would you say is something besides, I guess, people kind of shoving it under the rug? What is your like vision for what grieving could look like? It's, maybe I phrased that wrong. I was saying like, besides not shoving it under the rug. I'm not sure if I said that. <laughs> <laughs> what is your vision? <laughs> oh, gosh. The first thing that comes up is, is, grieving more openly in community not even in a dedicated grief group but I mean there have been times this year when I've been at work and I have cried in front of my coworkers, or you know been talking to a friend and and allowing myself to get to that kind of messy place of grief in front of them. Um, I think the vision is just more like it's communal, mm. intentional spaces for grief. And uh, I mean, it is so hard to be just like, like in the grocery store and you hear a song or you see like the person's favorite snack and you just start crying and you're like oh no who's gonna I think that's kind of a lot of people's first response is to be worried that like somebody's gonna see you and it's gonna seem weird or they're gonna be uncomfortable um but I think just kind of like inviting like more of that um yeah just this like more communal more public Hmm. that's part of it there's a 
there's an un very unnatural sense i think of of uh decorum that maybe comes from the british or protestantism or something i don't know what the the origins are just our like idea of what it means to be civilized i guess but i remember feeling like deeply ashamed of bringing my baby to the grocery store um mm. when i first had when i ha first had a child because i wasn't like i was like oh my god is he gonna start crying i don't think and and then he did and i had to like and, like it was it was brutally like I could have never imagined. I mean, and and it that sort of felt the same. I mean, the same, I guess, in sense of like display of emotion. Like we don't really tolerate, and we're sort of like self-correcting because probably the people around us would not judge us as much as we judge ourselves. But yeah, it's it's rough because we I'm also rereading the four agreements and he talks about like domestication and how we domesticate ourselves and others and like that's part of it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like making ourselves like neat and tidy and presentable. And then there's that's just this like illusion and this mask of like what's really going on inside. I mean, sometimes it matches what's going on inside, but I, I wonder if more of the time it doesn't, it's not like a true, or that time when you did go to the grocery store and you were, you know, had your baby and you, I don't know, like what you were wearing or you felt like unkempt or something, <laughs> like maybe that was matching your insides and people were like getting to see that and, but it, yeah. Yeah, that pressure to be like, I forget the word he used. It was the decorum. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's on both sides of the spectrum, I think. Like, it's it's just as kind of unacceptable to just, like, burst out in joy in the middle of the grocery store. Totally. People, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I wish it wasn't. <laughs> I would love to see more of that or somebody like pulling beans off the shelf and just wailing. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would hope somebody would be near them to just hold space for them. You know? Yeah. Have that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you were saying that, I'm like, how can we, Cause I'm sort of, I'm, I'm sort of processing this from my own childhood right now, but like, how can we expect people to hold our emotions if we don't feel deserving of expressing them? You know, it's like yeah. big work. That's big work. <laughs> yeah. I don't know all the answers for that, but that certainly has come up so often. Like, yeah, can you hold space for your own emotions? Can you allow them? The ones that that you have like maybe shame around or you feel like you shouldn't express. Um, yeah, and I don't know, like, and I, I think it does help to have like people that, that maybe encourage that, whether it's a therapist or a really good friend or a partner or, somebody that might like yeah encourage um the kind of like sitting with those emotions and being being with those emotions yeah what is like what is the thought process or like the things people say when they kind of shame themselves or decide that they don't want to go there or do you know like what those do you like see when I'm, when I'm talking to people yeah People apologize a lot. Mm. They apologize for how, for crying. Um, which I've, I've done. <laughs> I try not to do it as much now, but, um, you know, or they'll say like, this is, you know, I, I don't know if I should say this or not. Kind of they'll like preface the, the way that they're feeling. Like some people feel like, relief when their person passes away because they've been like a caregiver 
for 10 years or whatever the reasoning, you know, they feel like ashamed of that feeling or that they're still angry towards that person. Um, So there can often be like apologizing or prefacing like what they're about to share as like, you know, this, this is so out there or this might be wrong. Um, You know, and also kind of thinking like this thinking of like, nobody, there's no way no one else is experiencing this. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, like actually that's, it's not uncommon. Right. But well, that's, that's what happens when something is so, feels so shameful and, and people make it secretive is that everybody thinks that they're the only ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're the only one. That's really, well, hopefully that's, hopefully that's changing. Do you feel like there's more, there's more, I don't know, understanding or compassion that people are finding? I feel like grief is, is people are talking about it more. There's so many more resources. Um, and I can only speak to like the people that I work with or speak about, you know, those experiences, what I've heard, it's one you know, small portion of the population, but I do, I will have conversations where, you know, like just this week I was speaking with, um, a man that I've been kind of in, in regular contact with who is, you know, realizing that, Hey, like this grief, it's, it's a good thing. Like he was kind of saying that this is a good thing for me. Like I'm, I'm getting this education. Like I'm learning, I'm, um, kind of learning to be with it. Um, And that it's, you know, it's changing my life. So I think, um, I see both. I see people that are really like embracing all the different emotions, the complexity. And I see people that are just not ready to go there and, and might not ever. And that's okay. Like that's their, their experience, um, their experience to have. Um, yeah, I do believe, I believe it's changing. It's going to take a long time, I think, (laughs) but I believe things are shifting yeah one of the things that i i'm about to preface it sort of a strange thing to say um (laughs) i i feel like when i'm in grief there's like a kind of a relief in its vulnerability because i give myself a break on a lot of fronts that i don't usually and it's it's kind of a softening for me, that makes me a little bit, yeah, more gentle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like... Yeah, I mean, I I've experienced that personally, like just getting to that gentle space. I almost when I I. I have synesthesia, so I will like get visuals. Oh. <laughs> and with it, I just see this, like to get to that gentle place, to get to that soft place, there is kind of like an edge or this, like, like a, some kind of a barrier. And sometimes we can get there by like that relief mm-hmm. of crying or screaming or like moving Um, but yeah, that there is that just, it's so vulnerable and so soft and there is that capacity to be like, so tender with ourselves and we can also tell ourselves like, this is wrong. I shouldn't be feeling this much. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know 
all the science, there is science about how our brain functions when we're in that deep grief, but our brain isn't able to um, always like go into that more logical thinking of like being able to tell ourselves like, this is totally okay. That all you can do today is like make yourself some toast sleep on the couch, go to the bathroom, feed the kids, walk the dog, whatever, just the basic, like the brain isn't always able to, we're not always able to like remind ourselves of that when we're in that place. Hmm. I wonder if it comes with practice, maybe. Hmm. Um, yeah, maybe it's interesting. Well, also, I would imagine, I feel like the normal way or the, you know, the way that we cult kind of um, evolved to be human was in communities where we would have had multiple generations. There would have been deaths going on. There would have been people who were sort of expert at like the whole process who were there to like hold space for the community. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they were the brain for everybody, <laughs> you know, like this is normal, everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. Or if not like there, yeah, that there was a break, there was, there were people that could validate like, this mm-hmm. is normal. This is okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll make the food right now. Like you don't have to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so much about the way that we've it's so interesting how we are because I feel like the way that we've evolved and then like the way that we choose to live our lives now is, you know, is uh, there's such, such ends of a spectrum and well, most of us, I guess some people live in communities, but, um, but like we, we try to kind of like wrap our head around all these issues that I feel like wouldn't really be issues (laughs) if we, we were living kind of a more natural existence, you know, but I suppose it's a fun challenge for the modern human. (laughs) (laughs) I totally, yeah, I, I mean, I keep going back to referencing like uh, when Josh died and I just think of like the early, I live alone. I don't have, I don't live with a partner. I don't have a roommate. Um, and yeah, in those early days, um, he's your neighbor, right? What? It's your neighbor? In Portland, we lived in yeah, the same. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not out here. But in those early days, funny you bring up neighbors. Like neighbors brought over food, mm-hmm. and you know, people offered to like walk the dogs. Things that I didn't even think I would need. Hmm. Things I didn't even think I would need. Um, But just that like community aspect of people showing up, somebody dropped off like a gift card for at a little food truck. And that's where that like, you know, and I had people that had gone through similar kinds of losses who were like, yeah, this is really hard. Like, just kind of validating that um kind of serving as like the brains when I didn't (laughs) I just felt like you know like and you don't even know like what's up or down what's it's everything is like turned upside down so yeah having those other people um is really crucial yeah yeah, that's really sweet. I'm glad that 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 happened. Um, yeah, yeah. There were some beautiful like acts of kindness and generosity, and from people that I wasn't that close with. I know them better now. Yeah. Huh. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting who I guess who shows up, who you know. Um, yeah. Do you, um, oh, here's something I wondered actually in the, in the beginning, are you quite, are you kind of young in the space that you're in or is, or is you, 
are you like, do you have peers that are kind of the same age of you as you in, in this bereavement griefs in hospice and stuff like that? Is, is it more, I don't know. I'm imagining. Yeah. Through the program through nine keys. I know there are a lot of people that are around I'm 39 that are my age or even maybe 10 years younger, maybe a little bit younger. Um, and then older, I do like a, a friend of mine did say to me recently, she was like, you're so young to be in this, like what got, but I never really considered that. Um, yeah, I think, I think I see more and more people of like all different ages in this space. And I think it's, it's needed. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's another kind of misunderstanding that most of us have about death too, is that it's an old person's thing, but it's I know. <laughs> happened to anyone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know it's so true. Yeah. That's whenever people have asked me about that, like that you're so young to be in this. And I'm like, I'm going to die one day too. <laughs> it's just because I'm like of this age doesn't mean. Yeah. And I think that just goes back to like the narrative around death that like we don't really unless maybe you're you're in a situation where you experience loss at a younger age um you maybe don't think about it that much you know or you think of it as like the elders in your life or your grandparents or um you know it's something that happens to old people and I think we're blessed if we get to die when we're old. <laughs> um, yeah, there was something else that was coming up, but I forgot and maybe it'll come back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of pertaining to that. Yeah, just that like that kind of death awareness. I have uh, I don't know so I'm the same age as you I just realized but it only happened like a few years ago that I started having this thing where I would grieve um, living people like as if in my mind, like just sort of kind of wrapping my head around the fact that one day they're going to die. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> it's like, what is this switch that happened in my brain? Is that something that people tell you about? Or like, I'm curious if I'm the only one you've ever heard of doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have totally done that. Um, I, I want, I feel like there's a term for it. I want to say there's a term for it, but I don't know off the top of my head, but now I'm curious and want to go look after this. Um, but yeah, it's almost, it's like, I don't know if that's anticipatory grief. It could be, maybe that is anticipatory grief. Wow. Just that, like, I mean, I do that with my dogs, <laughs> like, like, yeah. And people just imagining like if they die before me, it's just that feeling of um, like, what's that going to be like and feeling that grief. Um, yeah. I wonder if that falls under the anticipatory grief. Cause when I think of anticipatory grief, I think of it as like someone is, terminally ill and you know they have a year to five years and you're kind of like preparing and going through that like reality that you're going to lose them and mm. 
kind of know when roughly, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like it's the same because you're going to lose them. Like we're going to yeah. lose them at some point. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought about that as that, but yeah, that's, that's a very similar, although, you know, you have to put a little bit more imagination into it, but it's a very, yeah, similar kind of thing in a sense, we're all terminal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. We'll all terminate. <laughs> yeah. But some people know like, okay, I have this much time left and then some people don't. Yeah. Yeah. My, my partner is, um, part Spanish and apparently in Spain, if someone is terminally ill, the doctor's policy is not to tell the patient, but just their family. So it's their family's choice, whether they inform. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That. That kind of breaks my heart. I mean, yeah. Very weird. Yeah, I I don't know. It I I guess the logic is that you wouldn't want to know if you're terminally ill. But then everybody starts treating you differently. I mean, that must be a fact. <laughs> like who wouldn't catch on? <laughs> right, right. Or wouldn't you notice, like, oh, I'm continuing to like progress in this direction i'm my body's deteriorating wow i didn't know that thanks for well that's according to him maybe somebody if you're out there and you research that maybe that (laughs) maybe maybe that's not true at all but but i just thought the idea of that was really was really interesting yeah yep yeah it's in a also in a culture where um, euthanasia is legal. So, like, for do you know the details of it? Like, what the no? Okay. Oh, I don't. I know a friend who went there because of that to have that option, um, but I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Something to research, I guess. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah that's a whole other that's such a like another big topic like death with dignity or medical aid and dying and that it is available in some states in the in our country but you know there are certain parameters around it and yeah in portland i mean in uh, oregon yeah yeah, I yeah. So. yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, do you have like on that note? Um <laughs> <laughs> there was <laughs> there was not like a <laughs> there was not an on that note, I don't think, throughout this whole um <laughs> throughout this whole conversation. But do you um have any like anything that you would like to share before we close? I mean, I appreciate having this conversation. I I feel like just being able to talk about grief and death and dying, um, it's a really vast like topic and um so i appreciate that and just being able to to exchange ideas and thoughts and and also just that i acknowledge like every person's experience with grief is you know there are things like we talked about where it's like you know, you're probably not the only person that has like felt this, this feeling (laughs) like, um, but the timeline, the way that people, you know, move through it, cope with it. Um, you know, I think 
people can sometimes what I hear is they give themselves a timeline of by this point, I'm going to be moved on. Um, but so much of grief, I don't believe we ever like move on and forget about it. And like, Oh, I'm done with that. But it's like, like living with it. And sometimes it's like beside us. Sometimes it feels like it's really just in our whole being, the grief. Sometimes it's like behind us. So just learning how to live with it. It's such a human experience. It's like an initiation. Um, Francis Weller talks about that a lot. Um, so yeah, I just, I believe in like people, like finding the way to, to learn how to live with it, mm. kind of like weaving it in and out of their life. Um, yeah. yeah, that's such a great reminder. Thank you. Um, I would invite people to follow you on Instagram. You have some really great prompts, especially if you're interested in continuing this conversation further. You share some really cool, engaging stuff. And I'll share your handle in the show notes. Um, yeah, thank you all for joining us in this episode. If you have any feedback or questions about this episode, please feel free to email me at inspired artist podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you in the next episode thanks Bye. for tuning into the podcast y'all please like subscribe rate comment whatever the platform you listen to podcasts on offers you as a way to let its algorithm know that you're enjoying these episodes that really helps also there's some links in the podcast description notes that allow you to support the podcast in a way that benefits you and us so please check those out and if you'd like to stay in touch with me you can sign up for my mailing list at portersinger.com we'll see you in the next episode bye